welcome to another episode of Shock Treatment. We are listening to Mel and Maddie. We're going to be your host for this awesome episode. We're going to be talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So, Maddie. Yeah. How do you like these movies? I know I actually, for the most part, love, this is one of my most favorite horror franchises. Oh, I agree completely, you know, I think... It doesn't get much bigger than the actual Nightmare on Elm Street franchise when you're talking about franchises in general. You got you pretty much got this one and you got Friday the 13th, I, I consider to be the heavyweight franchises, and then you can break off into another tier of, you know, the Halloweens and the... Um, Child's Play. Child's and- Play, yeah, you know what I mean, Hellraisers and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, a uh, big fan, gigantic fan of... Um, Nightmare on Street. You want to give a little rundown for anybody that I doubt there is anybody out there that doesn't know of Nightmare on Elm Street. But you want to give a little brief synopsis of of the franchise. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, if you've been living under a rock and you're not familiar with the Nightmare on Elm Street movies or anything to do with it, it's about Freddy Krueger, who's a former child killer, who after being burned alive by the parents of his victim, returns from the grave to terrorize and kill the teenage residents of Springwood, Ohio, in their dreams. Yeah. You don't, you don't get any better than that, you know? So, it's, 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 the movies are a lot of fun. They have some great kills in them. You know, like any other movie, you have your hits and your misses. So, I don't know about you, but um, I guess if we're going to do this, our opinions on worst to best. Yeah, that's cool with me. Um, real quick, before we jump into it, where, where did where did you first get introduced? Do you remember how old you were and which movie uh, you first got introduced with, with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? The first movie I was introduced to was the original, the 1984 mm. Nightmare on Elm Street um, I think I was a whole maybe seven years old yeah. when I first saw it. You know, it, it would it was fairly new yeah. to my horror movies because you know I was just starting to really get into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the the Friday nights where mom and dad would go and rent movies. There you go. It all stems back to the old VHS store rentals. Yep. I'd say... Bringing um, everybody together. Well, it's it's too bad we don't have them in a time of quarantine, but we have Netflix and stuff and Amazon. Well, I guess uh, it's kind of better we don't have them right now because I don't know about you, but personally, I don't want to be in a video store and have people breathing down my neck while I'm trying to browse through movies. Or grabbing a movie that's been held by 20 different people that could be holding the sickness. In In the five minutes. Prior to your touching it, yeah, I'm with you. I for for myself, I would have to say the first Nightmare on Elm Street films. Uh, I'll say films plural that I seen was I remember being a youngster and um, at the time I was living. Me and my mother were living with her uh, brothers and sisters and mother, and um, my uncles. Um, one of them being an uncle Jeff that isn't an, isn't blood, but my aunt's boyfriend, soon to become uncle. Um, they rented A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and 3 and it was a double feature that I went through um, and I remember the part in part 3 when, the, when, the, when uh, 
forget his name off the top of my head right now, but when the kid has his, his wrist cut open and he's being like puppeted across the Philip. hospital, Philip, the um, I remember throwing like that scene was so much for me. I threw up and I had to leave the living room. I was kind of held in the living room to watch it, which was interesting. And then uh, when I threw up, I was allowed to leave. What an initiation that was, huh? And, oh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> my, my aunt brought me into the kitchen, and she poured me a glass of orange juice. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I drank the orange juice, and the orange juice made me throw up again. So that scene got two good yaks out of me. But that was my first uh, introduction to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and then I would later go on to you know uh, fall in love with Freddy Krueger, as we all do. And like I've said in a previous podcast... I liked Freddy Krueger so much, I even had dreams that he was my friend in these dreams and that he would uh, he would have me, he would scare me, but I'd be in on it. And he wanted me to act really scared so he could, he could get chicks, which is the most, that's one of the weirdest dreams I've ever heard of in my life. And it's my own dream, which is interesting. Um, there's probably some psychological thing to go with that, you know, but... That's for a whole different episode or, or, or psychiatrist meeting. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> or, or maybe a whole different show. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Now, uh, doing the convention circuit and all that, we've been lucky enough to meet a good amount of people that have been involved with um, the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I know, of course, Robert Englund, who's the big the biggie of it. You know what I mean? Um, Freddy Krueger himself. Freddy Krueger himself. Um Heather Langenkamp, of course. Um, Lisa Wilcox. Lisa Wilcox, Tuesday night, we got to meet. I know that you met Mark Ricky Patton. Dean Morgan. Ricky Dean um, Morgan, our boy Ricky Dean. Yep. Uh, so, um, Mark Pattinson. Mark Pattinson, yep. Yeah. Um, Amanda Weiss. Amanda Weiss, yep. Um, some of these people even have copies of DJ Stand the Man, which is nice, you know. Yeah, I, and then, I mean, there's a few that I haven't met yet, but I talk to here and there because we're friends on Facebook. Um, I'm sorry, Danny Hassel, who was in Parts 4 and 5, um, Toy. Kincaid. Uh, yeah, Kincaid. Uh, Joey, Joey, that's Joe, Rodney yeah. Eastman. Yep. Um, I want to say her Toy. Ken. Toy Newkirk and Brooke, Brooke Feast. I want to say Kincaid's real with, name is like Ken Roigs or something like that. Roigs. Yeah. Like that, yeah. He's a, um, I mean, he hit me up on Facebook once to be in a movie. The beauty of uh, Facebook. Um, we should have him on the show. Um, yeah, and, and we've even, we've even had guests on the show who have done behind the scenes work um, with Mick Strawn, who true. was like a set designer and whatnot on a couple of the movies. Mm-hmm. Wrote some true. books. That is absolute true facts. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, we've been lucky enough to meet some really cool people um, throughout the process of it. So we wanted to um, dive in, I think. You want to start from the, the last one made and kind of we'll go through to the beginning and t- talk a little bit about it. And then at the end, we'll give our um, our numbered ranking of what order they fall in for us. 
or we can just do it and argue it out as we go. I, I mean, I'm, I've never been a, a real fan. I mean, if we're going to start from the newest and work our way back, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street, the 2010 version re- reboot, yeah. not exactly a big fan of. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's so much the movie itself, at, but I think it's, it has more to do with the fact that it's not Robert playing Freddy. Mm-hmm. No, I agree completely. For me. Oh, I agree that's, completely. I think, that, I think that's what kills that movie for me because reboot-wise, it it was a great movie, but I don't know. You just, you just can't replace Robert as Freddy Krueger. And I mean, I know his reasoning behind not wanting to do it and the fact that, you know, Jack, is it Jackie? Jackie Earl Haley, yeah. Earl, yeah. Originally had gone up against Robert for the part of Freddy Krueger in the 1984 version and mm-hmm. had lost out to Robert. So I, it's kind of went full circle that they brought him in to play Freddy in the reboot. Do you know why exactly Robert didn't want to play Freddy in the reboot? So did, I think it wasn't it because of his family, he didn't want his kids seeing him in that kind of movie. Who, Robert? That's weird because he, he all he does is kind of horror movies for the most part now. Yeah, I, I think, but I think he was trying to like get away from that and like well, that's what I, you know, that's one of the things I've heard. Yeah, well, he's back because I know he, he said if they do make another one, he definitely wants to play Freddy. And he's what we talked about before. He's one of those people out of all the horror icons. Well, Doug Bradley's the same way, kind of, where there's so, even though they're wearing makeup, there's so much personality and look. It goes into that character that, like, when they t- when they pull somebody out of it that's been doing it for so long, it really is kind of noticeable, and you can tell, you know, especially with the Robert England who brings so much comedy and character to it, you know. Yep. But and yeah. like you said, you you you're you're talking about a franchise where the first movie came out in 1984, mm-hmm. the reboot came out in 2010. So you know, you've got like a good period of time where Robert was Freddy and then boom, you get smacked with somebody different playing it for just the one film. And that makes it even more so noticeable Mm -hmm. because of the fact, like you said that, you know, you've got about 20 years worth of movies, you know, not necessarily think it was 20 years, but you know, like 20 years worth of movies and, it's all been Robert England since 1984. Here comes 2010, and boom. I'm going to make this guy Freddy Krueger. Yeah, my big gripe with that guy as Freddy Krueger is that the makeup was so awful. I, I often tell people that I said, because when you watch the, if you watch the reboot, the style of it and kind of the story to it isn't that bad. Like, it's actually not as terrible as you might think or remember, I feel. But, uh, no, it's it's actually, it seems, it's a little more dark. Yeah, and it's very stylized and stuff, which is good. But the makeup is so terrible in the movie that it completely pulls, 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 you know, it takes you out of the film. Like, I don't like that Definitely. makeup. I, yeah, it just looks like he's wearing a nylon mask over his face, like he's about to fucking rape someone in, like, 1976. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, Yeah, I, I think what did it for me you know, that made that makes that movie worth watching is the fact that it it goes more into Freddy Krueger's backstory as opposed to the nineteen eighty four version. Yeah. 
I, I think for me, that's what makes that film worth watching because, like you said, his makeup is atrocious in this movie. It, he probably, it, from looks of it, it does look like he's wearing a latex mask. Yeah. And that's like the, it's kind of distracting. Yeah, I agree with you with the prequel stuff. I really like that. I really like that scene where they, they chase him into the factory, you know, and he's all scared running for his life and stuff. Like, that was a great, that was a great scene. You know what I mean? Um, like I said before, there's a lot of style. There's a, that movie's packed with style, and it really just ran short of with that makeup, because that makeup was so awful that, you know, and I hate to, to just continue to bash the makeup, but it was like that bad that it, it that the makeup job itself literally single-handedly ruined that entire movie for me. And when I and I've watched it twice, and it's a good like the movie itself. Like if they if the makeup was bad, if they had really good makeup in that, fuck that would have been people wouldn't have been so hard on it. You know what I mean? Maybe they should have went yep. for maybe they should have went for like a direct prequel. Like, that's something that I don't think the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise ever really tapped into. They did a little bit with a certain ones, like, you know, Freddy's Dead and stuff like that. But but they should have done, like, a straight-up before Rob, before Freddy Krueger became the burnt Freddy Krueger. They should do, like, a prequel, almost, um... Leading know, up to the yeah, like leading parents up to it. going after him. Yeah, there's plenty of evil, dark, scary shit that you could have in before he even gets burned, you know what I mean? And, and, it, and they did, you know, they did touch on that in the remake. It, it's right. just, I they could probably do a whole movie just on the backstory prior to the parents, you know, forming their own lynch mob and killing him. Right. It's true. You know what I mean? Um, it, would be, it would be definitely interesting to see. Um, probably be a good way to bring Robert back into the, the whole franchise. You see, that'd be really cool, too, if they did. You In a situation like that, you could almost have um, Robert just play Freddy Krueger, and you could have somebody else play a young, you know, Freddy Krueger. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. that would be more, you know, because it, when he hit the screen, it would be more of a... Because now not only are you getting the return of... Freddy Krueger, but now you're getting the return of the actual guy that plays it as well. So it'd be one of those goosebump moments for fans, I think. Um, yeah, it, it, like well, like when Freddy did first, as Jason came out, how ecstatic everybody was to finally see that after it being talked about for so long. Yeah, you know, very anticipated. There's been so man. many rumors of Robert coming back and playing the character one, you know, at least one more time. Mm-hmm. So it would be a, a big day in, you know, horror if Robert were to reprise the role. If done right. I know he just did an episode of the Goldbergs, and the makeup on that looked really shitty, too. Granted, that was probably just their in-house makeup person who did it. Um, That made me kind of go, huh, mm, do we really need to see another Freddy Krueger? But, yeah... If they if 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 the right people were behind it and they they you know a lot of care, um, tender love and care went into making another Nightmare on Elm Street uh, with Rob England as Freddy Krueger, then I would say for sure it could be something really special. But you really got to have the right people kind of in it to win it on that one. Yeah, kind of like bringing back you know uh, yeah. the original makeup artist if that was a possibility, like. 
That's all, all the, the, the crew that made the character and the films what yeah. they are. I mean, unfortunately, Wes Craven's past, rest in peace. Yeah, you can't have that. I obviously, with, with the exception of him. Yeah, I mean, another, he's somebody I would love to have met before he passed, and unfortunately, he, he never came around, but... Yeah, you want to make a good name in Elm Street movie. You bring in all the right elements. You bring in, a, you have a great story for it. You get a good makeup artist in there. Some real creative deaths. Um, I throw in some cameos from a lot of the people from the past movies, whether they're just people at grocery stores or whatever that, that really aren't really that important to the story. Um, and for bringing people, you know, like Langen Camp would have to be brought in. You know what I mean? Um, she never. I don't. I don't. She never died in it. Did she die in part three, or was that just fatally wounded? I think she was just. I she was. I think she was. Oh, she was killed. She died in that. Okay, so then you really couldn't. You'd, you'd have to bring her in some degree um, of a cameo, but nothing too crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, if we if we if you brought her back, it, you know, it would probably maybe have to be her playing herself like she did in New Nightmare. I yeah, I say it'd be cool to kind of bring her back, but use her as trickery, where she's dead and you think that maybe she's a good character, and then you find out that it's just kind of Freddy working through her like a possession type deal, and because he killed her, he would own her soul and all that. You know what I mean? There's a lot of really yeah, cool and, and and if you actually like think back to some of these movies, like that's a possibility too because he did do that with, in, with one of the characters in Freddy's Dead. Yeah, you know the one that they it was supposedly you know his daughter or whatever. Yeah, the father. Yeah. The, um, yeah, there's a lot of really cool because of the dream world and the the owning the souls of these people. There's a lot of really cool places that anybody could go with a new film. It's just a matter of what, whether or not they're willing to go. I almost feel like if we were to see a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie, it would probably be another reboot of the original instead of any type of sequel. You know what I mean? Yep. Which is always bad news. You know, I'm much for a sequel. Or unless you get, you know, you actually have like a fan-made movie. Um, well, so somebody that's super like, passionate about the movie, you know. On a budget, on a real budget, because if we're talking about just a regular fan movie, you're going to be talking, we're, we're going to dive back into how the makeup effects of Freddy Krueger destroyed the whole movie for everybody. But yeah, if you could get like true a, story. Yeah, if you get like a real diehard fan that's a talented filmmaker that isn't making their first film with that film, but actually like, you know, actually... You know, has some work behind their uh, under their belt, and, and has the money, the vision, and the heart to actually do it. I think you, they can come up with something really cool. But without those things, I think it's just going to fall flat. It's so loved. You, that's one of the most beloved horror franchises around. One of the most beloved horror characters or icons, if you will. And you got you, you really have to delicately handle the way you handle that situation has to be delicate and lovingly you know even no matter yeah because if not you're going to have a lot of ticked off fans and at the end of the day those are the fans that are going to see it it's not like there there'll be a, there'll be few new fans coming up but the majority you're probably looking at 90% of old fans that are coming to see the movie and if those 90% decide you know fuck you we're not going to support that 
then they're in trouble. And I think, I think films, film fans should be more like that. Like, and I, you know, I'm a culprit of it myself. Where if there's something I really enjoy, I'll check out the reboot or whatever. Um, but I think fans should really, even if it's like looks like shit, I'll still watch it just to kind of because I like the characters and story. But I. I think that if, if if a movie is being rebooted or whatever, and it really looks like dog shit, don't support it. You know what I mean. And I hate to kind of say that as a filmmaker and a fan, but if it looks bad, like you supporting that film is is not, is doing an injustice to everything involved with it because now you're 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 giving them the green light to make more either another franchise, do a garbage reboot of that. Or do, like, a garbage sequel to this garbage reboot, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. The, the horror fans are so, they're so firm on what they like and what they don't like. And, you know, they always say they don't want reboots and all that, but they always go out and support them. So it's like, if you don't want them, don't support them, because the only reason why they're making them is because you support them. So you just and, and the reason and the reason this franchise has lasted so long is of love that they got from the fans, and yeah. you know, with the exception of a couple of them, like Nightmare on Elm Street movies are movies that I have no problem with, you know, rewatching nine thousand times right. just because of the fact, you know, you always notice something new when you watch it. It doesn't matter how old the movie is, especially if it's been a while since you watched a movie, right. you know. So. Like you said, it's, it's a delicate thing, and you want to keep the purity of that movie without pissing the world off. Yeah. Because otherwise, this franchise wouldn't still have the impact today that it had when it first started in 1984. Truth. That is true. Um, have we said, said all we're going to say about the, the reboot? I, I think so. I, I think we pretty much bashed that one good enough for now. Hey. <laughs> so next up will be the much-anticipated Freddy vs. Jason film of 2003. Well, how'd you feel about that? I loved it. That was, um, it wasn't, you know, with the amount of time that fans waited for that movie to come out, you yeah. know, from the time that the concept was, you know, initially talked about to actually put on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of disappointing, but it was a fun movie. I, I, there's, you know, you have people like Kelly Rowland, who, from Destiny's Child, who you would never think would be in that movie. Yeah. You know, you, um, John Ritter's son, like, it had a great, it had a great cast for a bunch of people that, you know, were fresh faces for the franchise. You know, um, the one part of that movie that always stick out and I couldn't stop laughing and I had people staring at me like I was insane was when Freddy Krueger came out uh, as the, uh, the caterpillar. Yeah. That is the weird part of it. How can you think you can't forget Monica Kina too, that was smoking hot as like the main, yeah. the main girl in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that caterpillar part. The caterpillar part was a little too much. I also didn't like how they, they brought that Jay character that felt like a Jay and Silent Bob ripoff, um, like yeah. the big stoner type dude. But I liked I liked Freddy vs Jason. I was, it was very anticipated, like you, you know, counting the days till it came out to theaters. 
I think I've seen it three or four times in the movie theater. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I love the whole movie. You know, it was fun. Um, you know, it, 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 the ending to it was perfect where like there was really no winner. There's no, it's, it wouldn't be fair to let one of them get the upper hand on the other one. You know, I think a lot of people are going into it thinking that they were going to, one of them was going to win. I knew from the get-go there's going to be no, there's going to be no winner. You know what I mean? There's, it just can't be. And, uh, of course, they're going to cliffhanger it because uh, I don't know how much money it made, but uh, I'm sure it made an ungodly amount of money. Um, actually, in two seconds, I will probably know how much it made here. Um, it made thirty-six million four hundred thousand. Um, well, all, actually, that was opening weekend. The, the, its overall gross was eighty-two million six hundred twenty-two. Um, off of a $30 million budget. So, I mean, it definitely made its money, enough money for it to continue to go. Worldwide, it made $116 million. So, yeah, definitely it was worthwhile to do a sequel. And I think they knew that it was going to it was gonna do some serious loot. You know, it made its budget back plus, you know, $6 million on the opening weekend. So, it's... Uh, I don't know why there never was a sequel to it. I know there was many talks of doing a part two, Freddy vs. Jason two. You know, we've talked about. I mean, and they definitely, they definitely left it open to do a sequel. Oh yeah, it was left to. Yeah, there was definitely room for the sequel. They they pretty much set a sequel up without the actual plot, but they did leaving them both alive. Um, I know we talked about you know how there was. Talks of doing a Michael Myers uh, crossover, a Leatherface crossover, even Ash from the Evil Dead crossover. Um, well, that's because there was, you know, at one point, if if you read, like, the comic books and the novels yeah. for this series, there actually was a crossover comic book that was Freddy versus Jason versus Ash mm-hmm. um, called The Nightmare Warriors. Interesting. So, it's it's... Something that they they really wanted to do it, and I think if, if enough people wanted to see that, they could do. Well, I remember a script, that kind of a crossover. They even wrote a script for it and um, for the Ash one, and it was getting pretty close to actually happening. And then Sam Raimi himself put the kibosh on it. You know? I mean, uh, yeah, like I, I it, was, it was funny because, like, as I was like watching, you know. A couple. I, I I did watch a couple of the movies because my you know sleep habits the last few days have sucked royally. Freddy is coming people. to get you. You're afraid to go to sleep. Yeah, right. Freddy's coming to get me. Right. Seriously, when I finally fall asleep, I'm done for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like I'm watching the movies and I'm like reading up on some of the stuff and like and I'm I came across like the comic books and you know there were even some that were made by Marvel. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, oh, this could be interesting. You know, Freddy is a Marvel superhero, if you know. Yeah. Do you see, you know, Freddy Krueger fighting alongside, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy or something crazy like that? Yeah. I also, I didn't like how they didn't bring back Betsy Palmer to play Mrs. Voorhees because she was still alive and kicking. And the lady in the Freddy vs. Jason movie that played her was, was older as well. So she could have very... Unless there was an issue with money, unless for some reason, you know, money was discussed and not quite uh, reached a, a, a 
you know, a, a position of everybody being happy with it. Yeah, and, and that's kind of a a question that, you know, if you were to ask either Robert or Kane mm-hmm. about why they never did another one, if that was the reason why, you know, it's kind of, they kind of skirt around that question. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, probably money was a situation, you know, part of the situation, but with everything else, when it comes to making a movie, I'm sure there were other issues other than, you know, the monetary ones. Yeah. Hey, what can you do, you know? Not much can be done in a situation like that, you know? But, yeah, but, you know, if you're going to do it, bring those two back to do the roles if yeah. you make a sequel to it. You have to. Yeah. No, I agree. I definitely agree with that, for sure. Um, the next film up is uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. You know what I mean? Which I... Yeah. I, I liked Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I thought it was a fresh take on it. Wes Craven returned to write and direct. Um, and I liked the whole real aspect of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I, I really liked, um, you know, the fact that he was actually in it himself as well. As himself, yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, with uh, along with Heather. Heather, yeah. And how dark... Freddie was in some of the, the later scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. The um, um, yeah, with the kid aspect. I mean, there's a lot of really cool visuals in it. His makeup was very different in that than it was in the previous movies. Um, it, it was probably even more so like it was in the reboot, like it was in the previous movies. But I still liked his makeup in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Um, and and I think with the fact with this too, and it it it, it didn't it didn't look shitty like in the remake. Yeah. It was just he looked he looked more sinister than what we were used to. Yeah, because it was you know Wes Craven living this nightmare personally, and that's how he was envisioning Freddy Krueger as opposed to the actual, you know, film series yeah. character that we've all grown to love. Yeah. John Saxon returned as well, you know. It was it had a lot of really good throwbacks to the franchise in it. It was it was like a it was Wes Craven's love letter to the franchise kinda, you know what I mean? To the character he created. <laughs> um I remember when that came out that was kind of a you know, a big deal. There's some really creepy imagery in that too, um I want to say that the, the, the scene where there, she was running across the highway and there's like a bunch of different Freddies peeking up over like the guardrails or something like that or like a fenced-in area, that was really creepy. Um, I know yep. there's the scene, you know, with, with, with where the the nanny that kind of watches Heather's kid, I believe she gets killed kind of like... In while the, they're in the hospital and, trying to save the little boy while she's waiting for Heather to come back. Now is that a, like it's is that one of those crawled up the she crawl, it's one of those crawl up the ceiling shots like in the original right if I remember yep. correctly yeah uh, yeah that was a really good film I liked that one a lot you know I liked how in the that and even Freddy's Dead they kind of crossed over um, it's always good to see Robert Englund as himself I'll say even in like part I think three it was 
where he plays a nurse, but I could be wrong. Um, even that was really cool. Or maybe it was the first one he played the nurse. I don't know. I'd have to give it. I didn't really give the movies a rewatch. I'm just going off of, like, memory. No, the nurse was the nurse was part four. <laughs> when, he, he, when he's the nurse? Okay. Yep. Cool, cool. It's always good to see him as himself, like, out of makeup in the, in the movies, you know? You know what I mean? Do you want to talk a little bit about the first... We, we kind of skipped over... The the first tele, uh, the, the second television series they had in two thousand five, they did a Nightmare on Elm Street Real Nightmares. Did you get into that at all? I never really checked any of those out, to be honest. Um, I never saw it. I saw Freddy's Freddy's Nightmares, the television series that yeah, came out in like October 91. of eighty eight. Okay. I used to watch that religiously every Friday night. And, you know, for a while, that was, like, my thing. Like, I was so in love with the character of Freddy Krueger. At one point, you know, he actually, there was, he had his own, like, those 900 numbers back in the day. You know, you could call and, like, talk to Freddy Krueger, and he would tell you a story. Mm-hmm. And I racked up such a phone bill because every time you called, you got a different story. So I was like, oh, this is awesome, not realizing it, you know, that it was, like, $100 a minute to hear these yeah. stories. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The um, our Freddy, Freddy's dead. Uh, Freddy's, yeah. Nightmares was ninety. It was eighty eight, eighty eight through ninety. Yeah, nineteen ninety. And um, you know, the, Freddy introduced each episode, and then there was the two different stories. The pilot episode was directed by Toby Hooper. Yep, good old so, Toby doing TV. Yeah, he's done a few. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was there was two seasons, forty four episodes. Um, nobody at the time that that series was filmed were was anybody that was really like super popular. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and you look at the names now, uh, Brad Pitt was in it. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of names that you might not have recognized then, but now you definitely would know it. I think um, Morris Chestnut or was in one of them. So you know, it made a lot of you know like gateway series for a lot of the bigger actors now. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt is like that a little bit, too. Um, and it was one of the first horror anthology series on TV. So, you know, right along with the, the Friday the 13th series. So I guess, you know, you could say that they were kind of the, the ones that paved the road for, you know, the, the, the newer horror anthology series that we have now. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Friday the 13th is like had nothing to do with Jason. It was like a vampire one or something like that. If I remember correctly. Again, I never watched any of the really really any of the TV shows of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, with Friday, with Friday the 13th, it, it was kind of weird because it was more like objects that were, I think, purchased. I want to say, I don't know if it was every episode, but, but I, I remember something about like different objects. Yeah, I think the star of the the star of the TV show Friday Thirteenth was ended up being the star of Jason Goes to Hell, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or vice versa. Or the star of but Jason Goes to Hell became the star of the TV show. Whichever one, I can't. I think the show came out first, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think it was that did come before Jason Goes to Hell, but you know, that's a different show. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. 
We'll Before we go that. on one of our tangents. We'll talk about that on the Friday the 13th franchise episode. Um, right. But uh, the next film is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which uh, I'll have to say I was... One a, of the first 3D movies. One of the first, yeah, it had the, the last kind of couple segments of it with 3D. I really loved Freddy's Dead. Um, I was anticipating it hugely as a child. As a younger kid, rather. I, that was one of those I counted the days down until I could see that. That was uh, back in the pay-per-view days where you could watch a little bit before they cut it off and you could continue to try to attempt to watch through the static if you wanted. That was one of those movies. and Yeah. I remember talking about... That was like... Uh, I remember like that in Demon Knight, Tales from the Crypt's Demon Knight, I remember being like so jealous of the kids that their parents would let them pay-per-view that shit at home and like they'd come in and tell me what it was, tell me like all the details about it and stuff like that. But yeah, Freddy's Dead was always a good time. Um, the Final Nightmare, you have, you know, I always remember Cameo, the Roseanne and Tom Arnold cameo in there, but that, even that one it has, you know... Some people that went on to do, we had our boy Ricky Dean Logan was in there. Brecken Meyer, who went on to do like a lot of other shit. Um, yep. You know what I mean? Uh, but that yeah, was a- and, and there were some great kill scenes in that movie, too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's why I like the fact that, you know, we've actually been able to meet a lot of the people that have been in these movies in this franchise because Ricky will even say it. His death scene in that movie is one of the most talked about and best best death scenes in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, with the, the, the ears and the, and, the, and the scratching. The hearing aid, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's a great, great flip. I really like it a lot. You know, that's one of those movies you'll talk to certain people and they'll go, oh, you know, that movie kind of sucked. And it's one of, it's like, I, it held a special place in my heart. It has a little bit of cheese factor to it, of course. It might not be as scary. I mean, it's definitely... It's definitely on the tops of the list uh, if you were to put together a mo- which movies really kind of started to fall- lean more towards comedy than horror. Um, it would Death Freddy's Dead is almost equally a comedy. I feel um, I relate it to like Army of Darkness, where with the Evil Dead, not to jump ship a little bit, but Evil Dead One scary, Evil Dead Two mixture of scary and horror. In Army of Darkness, I consider just straight up hor- uh, comedy. Like it's not even really a horror film. But yeah, yeah, I liked uh, I liked it. I liked Freddy's Dead a lot. Like we said before, you know where it had kind of Robert England in there playing himself before he turned into Freddy. I thought turned into Burnt Freddy. I thought that was a good one. I liked the Lisa Zane character a lot. I thought that was cool. Um, yeah, to go back to. Um, the, the Roseanne, um, the, not the Roseanne, to go back to the 3D aspect of it, I really thought that was super cool. Um, and I got the 3D glasses from the box set and stuff when it came out. I remember the box set, that box set, that Freddy Krueger box set that was like the brown or black box with like the, the silvery or gold Freddy Krueger layout on it. That thing was like 150 fucking dollars when that first came out. And I remember rushing out to get it. And now you can get that box set for like twenty bucks. I remember last time I seen that in stores, it was like twenty bucks at Walmart. But that was super expensive back in the day. It came with all the movies. It came with a bonus disc of like um, all different types of weird shit. There was like a game in it. Um, that Easter eggs. That was like the first time I really remember seeing Easter eggs in anything. Um, but yeah, Freddy's dead. It's a great, you know, I love it. How, how do you feel about Freddy's Dead? 
Uh, I I love it. I, I love it too. And you know, for the same, for the, pretty much the same reasons you do. Um, it was one of the the more fun ones in the series. Mm. It was very comedic, but at the same time, it didn't take it so far where it took away from the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, it, it, it's definitely one of the better ones for me in the franchise. Now, this John, Johnny Depp did a cameo in that, didn't he, if I remember correctly, on a commercial? Like, didn't he do the egg, the, the, the Brain on Drugs egg? Brain on Drugs commercial, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that vaguely for some reason. But yeah, I remember that. Good to get him back. I wonder what that cost him to get Johnny Depp to come back. I mean, he must have a little respect for the franchise to come back and do that cameo. Well, yeah, because Nightmare on Elm Street was his first movie role. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I mean, usually it's people, like, who's going to argue that? You know, that's where, if that's the movie where you got your start, it, and, you know, that movie's iconic and for so many people, mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody remembers his death scene. Of course. So... You know, that's a perfect reason to come back and, you know, even if it's just for a cameo, you know, to just show respect and, you know, show love for the fans that kept that that movie alive and, you know, keep the memories of the characters going with, the, you know, each new film, even, you know, even if it's just a, a cameo, like a, an, an egg commercial, you know, your brain on drugs to do. I forgot all about those commercials in general. This is your brain... This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Any questions? Yeah. The good old, the good old, back when they did the milk ads with the, the milk mustaches, and I remember getting like those like those those drug uh, you see like posters at school for like those weird fucking don't do drugs. I had like this crazy poster of a dude that was like strung up like a puppet with like a big fucking booger hanging out of his nose, and it was like. Don't do drugs or you'll be like Johnny, all strung out. Like, weird shit. I wish I still had that that stuff. That stuff was a good laugh. But, uh, yeah, Fre- Freddy's Dead was definitely a sign of the times with it, too. Like, it's definitely, like, almost a portal. When you watch it, you jump right back into, you know, the 90s, which was nice. 1991 when it came out. Um, but, yeah, like, there's, a, but there's more gags in it. That was, I think, the Power Glove was in that one where... I think that's Brecken Meyer who gets killed in the fucking video That's his death scene, yeah. Uh, playing the video game. Yeah, and then you have Logan, get, uh, Ricky gets his... Uh, the, his head explodes from the, the, the scratch in the chalkboards, but it's got, like, the weird corny gags in it, like how he's got... He opens up the... He opens up the fucking map, and it's, like... It's, like, huge. It fills up the whole back of the van. And that's the one with, um... The girl, the blonde karate girl who, with the father, right? With the the abusive father. Yeah, I remember when she, and she like beats him with a toaster and he comes up and his face is all fucked up. It looked like uh, in RoboCop 3, there was a scene where this Asian dude gets his face fucking annihilated and he pops back up and his jaw's like all out of place. It was like the same effect, which was very unnerving in both movies. But, yeah, I remember that scene. She's like, come give daddy some sugar or something like that. And then she, like, beats, yep. beats him, man. Yeah, that was crazy. 
you know, Happy Father's Day when the she, she uh, Lisa uh, Lisa Zane Maggie Burrows was her name in the film that beats him up, takes him out of the real world and beats him up, and then she puts the fucking dynamite stick like in his chest, which is always funny, and gives her the Happy Father's Day, and then he has that line where he's like kids, and then he fucking blows up. It's just yeah. great. Yeah, that movie's great all around. People hate on it sometimes, but I really enjoy part. Uh, but there's there's always a movie when it comes to any of the movie franchises, if it's horror, comedy, whatever. Yeah. There's always going to be that one or two films when it's a franchise that has several different movies that you're going to have your, like I, like I said before, you're going to have your hits, you're going to have your misses, you're going to have the ones that are absolutely loved and you're going to have the ones that are absolutely hated. Yeah, I This want- is the one where people, you know... You, you either love it or you hate it. If you love it, you love it. I wonder what a different age groups people, a lot, yeah, like an eighteen-year-old now would think of that movie watching. Because I think the the why we love it so much is because that was the perfect time in our childhood to see that type of that type of Freddy Krueger movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think uh, any kids watching that movie now would probably watch it and be like, "Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, this is the most ridiculous shit I've ever seen in my life. Why are you making me watch this?" Yeah. You know, because you know they're so used to these like, PG thirteen horror movies that you know don't really have yeah, really the same impact it. like the horror movies we grew up with. Yeah. Um, in between that, there there's a, there was a Freddy's Nightmares show, but like I said, I never really got into that. Um, and the next follow up film from that would be Nightmare on Elm Street Five: The Dream Child, which um, I can't say I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, you know, I can I can deal with it, but it's definitely not one of my fa- out of the out of the older ones. It's definitely not one of my favorite uh, favorite ones. You know, I didn't. It's got some cool moments in it, you know, like I uh, I like the, the comic book. The yeah. comic book, yeah, that's that, that, the that. one, that's the the one character of, you know, that was killed in that movie that I can vividly actually remember, and uh, with the character, what was her name, Greta, that was like the model or whatever, when she... Yeah, those are the two, my two get, favorite death scenes, yeah. Yeah, those are the two that I remember the most and that were, like, the most fun yeah. for me in that one. Yeah, b- Bon Appetit, bitch. Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he cuts her, like, open, like, a, because I think she was, like, a cake or something on the table and he cuts her open and starts to eat he, um, what's the she, cake. He's at, like, a t- he's the, he, he keeps shoving food into her mouth until she blows up, if I remember correctly. And then he, like, yeah. like slices her stomach open or something. Yeah, and then, you know, it shows her, like, almost with that whole, like, puppet look to her, you know, at the real dinner party that she had fallen asleep at the table during, and, you know, starts choking on everything that, you know, he's shoving down her throat. Yeah. Yeah, those are really the two redeemable parts of that movie. Um, I think that's also the one where the dude turns into the motorcycle, which I didn't dig. I thought that was probably one of my least favorite deaths throughout all the fucking... All the movies, that motorcycle one was a little too much for me. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the uh, of number five. To tell you the truth, uh, I thought it was really no. There's, there's, you know, that's like that's one of the ones where, as much as I I I like the nightmare movies, I 
if I skip that one, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Is there uh, anything else you kind of want to say about Part 5, The Dream Child, before we move on? So that kid is creepy. The kid is creepy. I'll give him that. Uh, he probably He's probably even creepier nowadays. Uh, yeah, uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet, but... Um, other than that, that, that that's not one of my more memorable nightmare movies. You know, like I said, there's like a, or we both have said that there's a couple of things in there that stand out, but aside from that, it's not the best one. Yeah, I think they really kind of jumped the shark a little bit with part five. Well, I mean, that came out like super quick too. Like it was literally almost a year to the day that it was released after Dream Master. Yeah. Dream Master got, was released in August 88, August 19th, 1988, and Dream Child literally came out August 11th, 1989. So, you know, they really did rush. Yeah, they really jumped the shark on that one. And they, and they didn't even, I mean, with part four of Dream Master, at least they had a really good director behind it. They had Rennie Harlan directing it. Um, yeah, and I think that they tried to ride the wave off of that. And like you said, yeah, I think you know they just rushed it. I mean, whenever you rush something, it's money. It's a money decision, and uh, whenever you make decisions for money and you rush things, it doesn't come out as good as it should. And the, you, you're dead on with that. That's exactly why Part Five wasn't that good. They probably had a bad script and they rushed it into oblivion, and um, you know. I don't know what... Because it really it really did. It had potential to be something great, but it, it fell short. It, like, it kind of, like, was jumpy. Like, the characters, there wasn't, like, too much of a backstory, you know. All right, so a bunch of friends in college, pretty much, that could boil down to any horror movie these days. It's a bunch of kids in college getting killed, like... Yeah, the best. Everybody's. It's something that everybody has seen. It's just, you know, a couple of the deaths were a little quirkier than what people are used to. Yeah, the the the, the guy who directed Part Five. He he also directed um, Predator Two, which is all right, but nothing to write home about. Judgment Night, which is a pretty fun movie. You know, Blown Away is all right, but nothing really to write home about. Even Blown Away was shot supposedly in Boston, or at least based in Boston, if I remember correctly. The Ghost in the Darkness, I don't recall. Lost in Space, I actually went to theaters to see that. Do not know why I did that, but I did. Um, that was lame That was fucking lame for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I think they just rushed that one. But uh, moving into part four, the Dream Master, directed by, you know, Rennie Harlan of Prison Fame and, um, you know, The Long Kiss Goodnight. He's a good filmmaker in his own right. Um... I really I liked part four a lot. I thought part four was a good time. Um, you know, it had it was kind of like it had some really great you know like the Roach Motel scene where the girl turns into the ro- uh, the fucking yeah. You can check in, but you can't check out. Yeah, you know uh, that was some really good stuff. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I think we had the return of some of the kids from some of the Dream Warriors from part three. Popped up in uh, the, the the fourth one. Beginning half of the movie. Yeah, we had you know. There were some it, great. There were some great one-liners in that movie for some, sure. Yeah, for sure, definitely, 
definitely some great one-liners in the film. Um, yeah, there was a good... The kids were more likable, I felt. You almost felt... You felt a little more... You felt bad for, um, you know, the kids a little more. And I didn't feel really bad for the kids in Part 5, to tell you the truth. They were, I didn't find them really that likable, you know? No, they were, they were kind of obnoxious. This um, and, like, yeah. all about themselves more so than in Part 4. Because, you know, obviously Part 5 follows Alice. And Dan and the pregnancy. So, you know, from the ending of four, but in part four, everybody liked one another. They were close. They were, you know, trying to look out for one another. And part five, it wasn't like that. There was no, there didn't seem to be a rapport between the characters like there was in part four. Yeah. Part part four also had um, the let's suck face line. If I remember correctly, right with the with the girl, with that, girl with, asthma. With that's the asthma. played by Toy Toy Newkirk. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, those two, that and the Roach Motel deaths are my favorite one. And that one, favorite in that one. This no, one, and they're sitting in the diner and with the pizza? Alice is there. The pizza oh, with Rick classic, and Little Meatball. Classic, classic scene right there. Classic scene. This is what I remember having a really great soundtrack like the third one did, too, if I remember correctly. Three and four had, like, the yeah. best soundtracks. Best soundtracks of them. Yeah. They were, uh, Dramarama, I think was, they did the, I think that was the band that did that, um, the title track for part four. And then Do- Dawkins did the title track for Dream Warriors, which was nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the fourth one was really cool. You know, uh, you know. I will say that there was some great artwork. I, I like the posters a lot. For for part four, it has a really cool poster. Um, one of my favorite posters in the franchise. You know, I, just like part two. Like part two, we're gonna get to in a little bit. I don't think either of us like it, but I think the artwork to part two was really cool. Um, it had a couple, you know, silver linings. We'll say, but we'll get to them when we get there. Um, yeah, I think Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was really kind of the peak of Freddy Krueger becoming Freddy Krueger within mainstream society. I think he was... Yeah, I think, I, I think the next time, like, there's a convention where, like, Lisa comes to it, I need to get myself the nunchucks, because she comes to conventions with the nunchucks that she uses in the movie. That'd be cool. So I think that would be, like, a dope piece of memorabilia to have, because... That movie was, like, one of the ones that stood out more. I think, yeah. Adam Green was talking recently. He's doing the big, on YouTube, he's doing a lot of live streaming and showing his stuff. And uh, I was listening to his, actually, it was on his podcast is where I heard it, where somebody wrote in talking about how they were sad about the death of uh, Rock and Shock. And um, they were going to, like, give up doing, they make horror things uh, to sell at conventions. And they were going to, like, give up or something weird. Um, but he was saying like that he's been in talk with certain people from the Rock and Shock camp, and that it's very even he said don't count it out yet because it's very possible that it is coming back under a different name. So hopefully we yeah. get that. And I wonder, I mean, people are going to be so happy to get a convention again. Like it might actually get me back to buying autographs because I haven't bought autographs since the first couple of years of Rock and Shock. I mean, 
when the really big names come around and stuff like that, yeah, I get their autographs, you know. But like for the most part, I'm not. Dude, I, when I used to, when I first go into conventions, I was like, I would just bring money and be like, here's money, take my money. I was one, like one of those, where you see those memes where it's like, take my money. Like, that was me about autographs when, when I first started hitting up conventions. And then it, after a while, you kind of like, eh, you know, you dies out a little. Well, not, you know, your, your, your quest to spend all your money on autographs kind of dies out. But I might actually be back in the mood of buying autographs by the, if we get it. If we just to be so happy, because everybody's gonna be so happy that we have a convention again, because like, yeah, like we, Rock and Shock was kind of our deal. Scaricon went out too, and he said Terracon is still kind of claiming. Terracon, I haven't heard anything about it being canceled yet. That's still a couple months away. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not even gonna lie. The lineup doesn't impress me. I've right. pretty much met everybody that's gonna be at it. So it's not like there's anybody that's going to be there that's fresh. It's mostly, it's predominantly um, people that are into the paranormal aspect. Yeah. Um, I'm not a hater, you know, but that's not why I want to go to, I want to go to a horror convention because I want to meet the people that are in the movies that I love, not meet a bunch of people that, you know, just go on ghost tours and, you know, check out haunted locations. No, I hear you. Um, and we we save those people for mostly ghostly. They should be guests on mostly ghostly. That's where the buck stops. Through the fucking buck stops, man. But uh, yeah, the paranormal mostly ghostly would uh, be a fantastic. They should be guests. They should. Somebody should get on the phone and call those guys at Mostly Ghostly and say we need to bring you on to the Terracon event. I bet they'd even say yes. I think that would work. I think they'd say yes if they got that call. I, I can't. I can't. I'm not them. I can't speak for them, but I, I definitely think that they probably would accept that challenge. Yeah, I think. I, I think the guy that does that mostly ghostly show is pretty cool, and I think he'd be down for it. Yeah, they're good folks. They'd be all. Yeah, over. I could see it now. I could. I could picture them standing there at a table with the mostly ghostly banner behind them, giving out eight by tens and. Maybe even CDs of fucking the show. Who knows? Maybe I'll give them an idea, and they should do. They should release. Or maybe the getting, show. or maybe going on a ghost, one of the ghost adventures with them, maybe, and maybe all putting of us, that talent to work. Maybe even Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie should put shows onto a CD to sell it, like conventions. Who knows? Like a season worth hey, or something. Hey, why not? I've seen other. I've seen other shows that do it and manage to sell them. So if they can, why can't we? Amen, sister. Amen. Well, let's move off into the, the, the next Nightmare on Elm Street film, part three, Dream Warriors, which is... One of my absolute favorites yes, of the franchise. One of the greatest of all time. Um, it's funny, when we had Chris on the show a couple episodes ago, I, I was blown away that he said that he fucking did not like part three, which kind of blew my mind apart. I said, oh my God, someone doesn't like part three. What is that all about? But Yeah, because usually, you know, that's not one that you associate with people disliking. Oh, I love and it. I can't think of anything in that movie that didn't want to, like, just, that didn't just suck you right into it. Very great, right down to the right down to the artwork. The poster was fucking big pimping. It had a great cast, you know. 
Uh, Patricia Arquette that would later go on to be Gigantor, you know, kind of led it off. You had, you know, Heather Langenkamp was in it. You had all the cool, you know, Ken's, Ken Sagos, Kincaid, you know, Rodney Eastman, Joey, Tyrin, you know, uh, uh, played by Jennifer Rubin. You know, there's other people in it as well, but, like, very cool. I really loved Dream, Dream Warriors, who was a great, the Wizard Master, fucking great, great film. Um, directed by uh, Chuck Russell, who uh, the last episode we did where we talked about that resurrection movie from the Easter episode, he, he, di- yep. he directed that movie as well. Um, the just great all around great stuff, you know what I mean? I, I, I want to every kid in it was likable, you know. Every death scene was memorable, you know what I mean? You got the famous prime time bitch. You know, scene in there with the chicken or head stuck into the TV. Um, yeah, Philip getting turned into a, a one of his puppets, yeah, and puppet. you know, it's it's just mind blowing. And you know, like when um he still when he, I guess I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say kidnaps Joey because he doesn't literally kid he kid, well, takes his takes over his soul or whatever. Yeah. And that scene where he's like. Carving into Joey's stomach, come and get him, bitch. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know when he's like, he's got it, the, the 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 Joe when Joey that that like that hot nurse comes in and he thinks he's gonna have sex with her and he like she spits her tongue out and like ties him up and then the bed ties him up in the fire. Like I remember turning my when I was a kid that creeped me the fuck out. Her, her going like the the struggle face that she did like the <laughs> like when people do. Like, there's certain shots in movies of people just making these distorted faces. And that was, like, one that really creeped me out as a kid, which, like, ah! Uh, yeah, because she looked, she looked straight up sadistic when she did it. Oh, yeah, so for sure. It was, that was, like, you know, you see this really beautiful nurse go from absolutely stunning to purely sadistic within, like, a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, the creep factor on that was no joke. Yeah. The intro, I even love the intro with the house. Um, Patricia Arquette building the house and stuff. The part where, like... Uh, the popsicle stick. Yeah, the part where, like, she's in bed and, the, and fucking Freddy, like, kills the mother and, like, has her, his, 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 the fucking glove is, like, through her head. And he, like, come, he's in the doorway. Like, that creeped me the fuck out as a kid. Um, yeah, but, with him in his tuxedo. Where do you keep the bourbon? I can't tell you how many nightmares I've had of being in that dream house where, like, when she runs up the stairs and it's like marshmallow steps, where her feet get stuck in like that quicksand type shit. Oh, that was in the first one. Was that the first one? Is it? Yeah, is it in the in the third one. one in the third one, she's running down that muddy hallway holding the doll. Is there blood? Does her foot stick into blood or something like that? I, I want to say her feet get stuck in something as well. Yeah, I want I want to say it, it looks kind of oily, so I want to assume it's blood. And then she goes into a room and there's like all kids hanging from nooses, if I remember correctly. Yep, and she's still holding the doll and it's hey, like, what are you doing? They're hurting yeah, the me. And then like, face is all charred and like skeleton like. I remember, uh, this was, here's a fun fact about Matt Fisher. I remember when my nephew was, was young, I, um, and I had a dream and this is how I, this is how I knew I, I, I love my nephew more than life itself and all my nephews and nieces is in the dream. I was outside of that house. My nephew was on that 
fucking tricycle thing that that girl was on in front of the and then he rode the bike into the house and I and I remember without even thinking I fucking ran into that house to get him and at that point I said you know what I love this kid you know what I mean because I, yep. <laughs> I was putting my life on the line for sure you know um yeah, ain't that sweet? Ain't that sweet? He'll hear this one day and he'll have a big emotional breakdown over that. It'll be nice. But yeah, part three is filled with all types of cool stuff to go back to the soundtracks. Great soundtrack. They had the Dawkins Dream Warrior Dawkins song in there, which might be the most famous Nightmare on Elm Street song uh, of all time. Um, they created. They had a music video with Freddy Krueger in it, which was very cool. I remember that being dope as hell. Um, yeah, the whole movie, part three is really cool from beginning to end. I think there's so much going on in it. And it's just every, you know, the room with the mirrors was really cool. Uh, where Joey... It literally, it, it literally keeps you and keeps your attention from the moment it starts until the credits roll. You go, hey, Freddy, you burnt face pussy. We got fucking... Kincaid was just gangster. Kincaid was bad, like a badass motherfucker in that movie. You got the famous yep. scene with Patricia Arquette with like the penis fucking snake Freddy that like starts to eat her like that. That's crazy imagery. Um, yeah, that part three is just great. I love part three from beginning to end, straight up. And as well as you. And now let's go into a movie that we both don't love from beginning to end, straight <laughs> up, from, from that get-go. We'll go into a film. I, we must be talking about Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> Freddy's Revenge. Freddy was having revenge on all the horror fans when he made that because he wanted to make a movie no, no horror fan would like. And he succeeded. He sure did. Um, what, what, a, what, a, what a wild movie, you know. Clue Gulliger couldn't even fucking save that movie. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, that that was that that movie was it was really a train wreck. I don't know what the concept was they were going for with that one, but they they really failed miserably. That could have been one of those movies that Cocaine wrote. You know what I mean? There's a few movies. Some that, yeah, there was a few movies that have been written by cocaine and alcoholism, and. Um, you can usually tell, but that was Mark Patton. I remember your boy Mark Patton for a while had big beef with that, saying how it ruined his career and stuff, which I always thought was interesting. No beef to Mark Patton, but you can't exactly say that it ruined your career because I can't think of any other movie he was a part of before that. It was kind of like the movie that would have given him a career. I think either. I can't even really. I I love Mark. Mark's a great guy. The best. But I can't think of any movies after that either <laughs> you know it's whenever i see people giving hard times to horror franchises that are like that movie ruined my career it's like you would never nobody would know who you are period if you didn't do that movie so don't hate on it um, i mean if if he, if he can think all he wants that that movie ruined his career but it, it couldn't have ruined your career too badly because that you're making a killing off of it now with, you know. Yeah, you're still eating. Going to conventions, you wrote a book about it. Um, I think he has a podcast, too, or something. He, had, he just recently had a documentary. Like, you can't, you can't say something ruined your career when you're still eating off of it, you know, fucking 20, 30 years later. 
30 years later, I think it is, but pushing probably. Yeah, pushing, seriously, true. It's, it's, pushing, it's pushing, pushing 30. Yeah, pushing 40, 80, 1985 yeah. it was made. But yeah, Mark Patton's a good dude. Um, it, it, it's weird. I mean, it definitely has, part two has. Love him, hate the movie. There you go, exactly. Part two has a lot of like the, the like homosexual over overtones, which the writer like. It's all about a, a a guy battling with his sexuality. I feel, you know what I mean. I always could even like younger. I always looked at it that way, where like he likes this girl, but doesn't. Or like is supposed to like her, but doesn't type deal. And I always felt that him and his friend Ron, uh, played by. Uh, Robert Russler there. I always thought that they had like a weird relationship that was almost like a, almost a sexual relationship behind the scenes type deal. Um, even you got that. I, I wouldn't doubt it because, I mean, Mark does play for the other team right. and I'm not discouraging that in any way. I right. mean, he's making his turn right now with the, you know, he's, he doesn't consider him, he considers himself a scream queen. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he has fun with that, you know? So I, I wouldn't doubt it. I th- um, yeah. I think they should, the filmmaker should have just said that it was that or come forward with the truth and say that it's that because it would be, it would almost make the movie better because it'd be like a weird ahead-of-its-time progression-type movie in a way where you're introducing, it would be kind of like the first kind of gay horror film in a way, you know what I mean? Which I mean, that's, yeah, because that's, that, being gay was so taboo still at exactly. that time. I mean, look at the whole the, the the coach scene with Coach Schneider when he was going to like the, the the fetish clubs with like the leather and even that whole thing's weird. And they get whipped in the shower. You know what I mean? Just a lot yep. of really weird overtones. Um, they should. They, they're. Did you see Mark's documentary? Did, did it dive into that at all? I did, I heard it was out, but I never seen it. I haven't seen it yet either. Um, it's probably something I will probably watch the ne- over the next few days just yeah. because of the fact that I haven't seen it yet just to get his perspective on making that film. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I wouldn't mind checking it out and then having him on the show to talk about it. Yeah, I would definitely love to have him on um, and hear it from, you know, get the story straight from the horse's mouth as they say, Absolutely. you know, with that movie. Yeah. Now, for all the things I do not like about the film, there's two things that I really like about the film. And what I'll say is that is the original um, VHS artwork of Freddy Krueger peeking around the corner. I think that's one of the best artworks of the entire franchise. I really like that a lot. And I will also say that I do think that Freddy Krueger looks the absolute scariest in, in part two. I think that's kind of... His his makeup just seems really demon-like. He's very, very demon-like in in, um, in part two, I feel. Uh, the look of him, I think, is very creepy. And I really like that, that VHS cover artwork, like I said before. I think that's probably one of my favorite artworks. Uh... One of uh, for 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 that for the whole franchise, you know, I think it's one of my probably my favorite artwork of the whole franchise. But um, for sure, do you have any pros or cons? I know we get a lot of cons, but you got any pros for part two? Not 
not really. You know, I mean, some of the music was okay, but yeah. like other than that, there's nothing. Again, it's another one that you know, like part five, that doesn't really stand out to me amongst the rest of them. Yeah, like, and they go back to the artwork. Like that VHS artwork is awesome. And the, the actual, like, theatrical poster for part two, I fucking hate. Like, my, my least favorite art, my least liked artwork of the whole franchise is part two's theatrical. But my most liked artwork for the entire franchise is part two's VHS artwork, which is very interesting to say. But it's fun. I mean, it has its place. I do, if, whenever, if I'm running a marathon, I will. I do throw it on. I do count it as a part of the franchise. It's not like I, I bastardize it or exile it. I will watch it. I just don't think it's up to par with the other films um, in other regards. You know what I mean? But um, like we were saying before, there's not really even that many kills in it. Um, a lot of the, like the gore and stuff is like... When Freddy comes out of out of um, Mark's out of Jesse, out of Jesse, and like you know, weird stuff like that. The part where Freddy peels his face off and shit in the beginning when he first sees him, and um, it's weird. It's kind of a weird movie that almost doesn't fit into into the franchise. I feel like, it, yeah, it just it's like a, it's the season of the witch of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Well. Season of the Witch, when I was younger, I didn't quite understand how that fit, and I didn't like it because it was so different, but nowadays, I can watch Season of the Witch and really appreciate it, and actually, I like it a lot nowadays, but yep. part two of Friday, of Fre- Nightmare of Freddy, Freddy's Revenge, I don't dig. Like, to this day, I can't go and say, eh, I'm older now, so I can appreciate it. Like, I still don't appreciate it. Yeah, now I still it. hate it. I still don't <laughs> like it, yeah. Like it's it, there, there's worse there's there, there's worse movies out there, but it's I feel it's definitely you know outside of the, it's the outside of the, of the franchise. Yeah, outside of the reboot, I think it's the worst movie. And as for even negotiable, you know, you could probably even argue whether it's wor- which one's worse, part two or the reboot. Um, but uh, yeah, I um, part two was really really kind of upsetting for me uh, and you. And um, a lot of people don't really get down with it. But um, it is what it is. You know what I mean? So let's move off into the next film, which is the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, written and directed by the one and only master of disaster uh, icon. Rest in peace, Wes Craven. Um Fuck yeah, doing it big style. Um, you know, the first film of Johnny Depp. Um, you know, you got Heather Langenkamp on there. You got John Saxon. You got Ronnie Blakely. You got Amanda Weiss. You know what I mean? Charles uh, Fleischer's even in that cameo. And, uh, you know, Lynn Shea. You got to have, you got to, Robert Shea's got to throw his, got to throw his sister in there somewhere. It just makes sense. But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's just a fantastic, it's just a fantastic movie. Um, I mean, when I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street, I, I was, I, like I said, I was young. I was only like six or seven when yeah. I first saw that movie. So I, I had nightmares for a couple of weeks, especially after that scene, you know, where Nancy sees Tina and she's in the body bag outside yeah. the high school. 
surrounded by all the snakes and the bugs and whatnot. Like, that was like, that creeped me out for a long time after. Well, there was a, the reason why there was a lot of psychological horror to that, which is credited completely to Wes Craven because before becoming a filmmaker, he was a psychology teacher. And that's what he studied in psychology. So I think that's why his films have that. You take Last House on the Left has a very high psychological horror to it as well. <coughs> and Nightmare on Elm Street's no, no different, you know. The whole thing came from a, an article that he read about a kid that um, could, wasn't sleeping and he kept telling his family, if I go to sleep, I'm going to die. If I go to sleep, I'm going to die. And uh, they didn't they didn't believe him. They even found uh, there's a coffee, he like a coffee maker in his closet to try and stay up. And I guess they stayed up with him, reassuring him, no, you'll be fine. He finally went to bed and he actually died in his sleep. Like that's where the whole story came from that 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 reading that article sparked sparked off the imagination of Wes Craven to make a nightmare on Elm Street Freddy Krueger was taken from um I believe a bully that he had to deal with in school that's where the name came from and I know that the look uh outside of the burnt thing I know that the the look of it of how he dressed and stuff I believe came from um well, the hat I know came from there was a whole, he he seen a homeless guy outside his window at night who was wearing the hat, and he might have been wearing something else. Um, but that he he said you know he he looked up and seen he seen him in the street, and he looked up and they made eye contact and he was creeped out went and ran in his bed and then later he went back out to the window and the guy was still there looking up at his window. Um, yeah, I know he wasn't wearing the, the the sweater because the red and green sweater was chosen because when they were doing research, they want he he said what two colors go together that are hard on the eyes and that 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 was like his direction for wardrobe people and they came back and said you know this green and red design is difficult on the eyes to look at type deal which is funny because those are the colors of Christmas. Um, yeah. I would have probably, I, that's what I would have assumed if I never knew the thing about the heart on the eyes thing is that it's just a Christmas thing where you have this great holiday everybody loves and, you know, the red and green, so let's tie it into this thing that everybody's going to be afraid of, you know. But, what, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original one, cl- fucking classic horror, very scary, uh, no comedy whatsoever, Freddy Krueger doesn't start getting comedic till part three or four, um... So he's still in his heyday of being just creepy. And the somebody, ultimate slasher. Yeah, the ultimate slasher, you know. You've got the, 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 the arms that stretch out in the back alley. You have him cutting off his fingers. And um, spreading out the green ooze. And blood. The ooze. Yeah, like you said, the scene with, with, with the girl in the, in, 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 the, in the hallway in the body bag and being dragged with the blood streak behind her. You've got Johnny Depp's the death scene. In, uh, in his bed. Um, the worst hole that, you know, geyser that comes out of blood after the fact. Yeah, the geyser of blood. Now, is he, he's... Uh, Johnny Depp, is he... he is that, that's the 360 room, right? The 360 room that spins? Yeah, that's... A, no, the 360 room, I think they might have used it for that. I know they definitely used it for the scene where Tina was killed. Okay, well, yeah, they only would have done it with one, so... Yeah, the Tina one was... He's just sucked into the blood, and then the blood 
It's like a reverse shot of the blood going up on the ceiling and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. They use the three sixty room for oh, for Tina's Yeah, you're you're dead on with that. And then they have the the her, the boy Tina's boyfriend does the old uh, uh, supposed Jeffrey Einst, uh Jeffrey fucking Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein whatever his name is, Pedophile hanging himself King. with the sheet in the jail cell, hanging himself with the sheet. Um, yeah, craziness. Um, yeah, very. Very, very dark, very psychological, dark horror. Um, he created, it's a masterpiece of horror. You know, he really created an icon with Freddy Krueger that, that I feel hasn't really been matched. Even with Jason and Michael Myers and all that, I don't think, I don't think they'll ever be as big as Freddy Krueger is because of the personality. Like, Freddy Krueger's gigantic and world-renowned and everybody knows him because he actually had personality, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not like, um, I mean, I granted, with, like, Jason, yeah, he was a little boy that, you know, was bullied, whatever. So, you know, they, they could have played more on that backstory, but, well, like... Well, Jason and Michael Myers, not to cut you off, are more of killing machines, you know what I yeah. mean? And Freddy's more of a revenge machine where... He's here to kill. He he. His killing's more personal. You know what I mean? Like it's more of a personal thing to him. That's why he personalizes it more with communication, with who, and jokes, yeah. and stuff. Whereas in Michael Myers and and Jason Voorhees are more just. I, I everybody I, dies. Yeah, I just need to kill, 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 kill. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I was just getting ready to say. So like that's that with that with that that that's that, I think that's why he's he'll always kind of be kind of a peg above the other ones you know and it, it, you see his face more like with the you can't really get too personal with a mask like with makeup yeah you can do it but with a when you're wearing you know the hockey mask or you're wearing that William Shatner mask fucking you can't really express that much facial. Um, you know, emotion and stuff like that. It's just, you can do head movements and, and stuff like that, but you can't really, you can't smile, which the smile, you know, smile is incredibly effective when you're wearing crazy makeup. Incredibly effective. Um, and just being able to talk. Like, that's why you got to give credit to the people that have played, you know, Jason and Michael Myers, because like, you, you, it's all physical. It's all there's, you know. It's 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 all. How can I tilt my head or how can I move my body? That's going to be creepy, because you can't, you know, speaking, saying something can add creepiness to it. It's the smile, like I said. Yeah, because of the tone of the, but, yeah. the, but the tone of the voice that raising, you know the character yeah. speaks in and raising an eyebrow like that leads into the whole thing of which is, which is scarier, a more personal killer or a more of a killing machine. What, what do you think? I think I think um, more of a personal killer. That yeah. that's scarier to me because you can fully see on their you know their features or you know the way they're saying something. You know something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Where you know somebody comes at you with a machete and a mask, you know you're going to die, but right. you just don't know. You don't know the reason behind it. You just know you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, it'd be... 
I, I, if I was going to be killed by either or, I'd rather go with being killed by more of a ki- just a machine like killing that, like a Jason Voorhees who's going to stick stick like a fucking machete through my chest and like cut cut like tear it to one side or the other and like fucking half cut me in half and I bleed out than somebody that would stick their glove in my chest, which is kind of the same thing, but then lean in, smile in my face and maybe say something or lick my cheek before I die or something. You know what I mean? Like that's... Yeah, just that's to make it horrifying. even that more, that much more creepy. Yeah, like... You know, because yeah. he's enjoying the kill. Exactly. That's Whereas... Yeah, you got it. You hit it right on the head right there. Because when it's more personal, it's more they enjoy it. It's more of a bloodlust. They're enjoying it instead of just a job. You know what I mean? Yep. It's craziness. But, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, classic. I, 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 every couple of years, I dig it. Whenever, like, whenever I feel like I haven't seen it in a while or it's been too long, I always go grab it and throw yeah, it Yeah, time on. to it's, pop it in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those classics. You know, it's one of those modern-day classics, um, at least for our generation, a modern-day classic. Um, it'd be interesting. Like I said, we're at a certain age, so, I mean... I'd almost love to someday for an episode sit down like an 18 year old or even 16 or 17 year old and be like and play the movies for them and see how effective it is with them because their mind has been you know their mind they they're almost growing up in a more fear fear induced culture and you know we were almost there was still fear elements when we were kids but it was almost more um I don't know. It was a different kind of element. It was a different of kind of element, yeah. So, but, so I'd love to see like, I'd love to see how people react to the films that we really like. You know what I mean? I think it would, it would probably be like, um, I, have you ever seen any like those uh, YouTube videos and whatnot with like little kids now? You mm-hmm. know, trying to figure out what a cassette tape is. Yeah, I, I, I can see a lot of, <laughs> you know, what the hell is this? type of reactions going on probably with, you know, yeah. kids watching it now, you know, if, if, if they're not brought up on it or, you know, have parents that were into horror movies at that time, like, you know, with like, I was introduced to it because of the fact that my mother was into the, into the horror movies. So that's how I was brought into it. Yeah. So, you know, having somebody watch it that may not have grown up on it or, has maybe never even seen it. Like I said, you had to have lived under a rock or live under a rock to not have watched any of these movies. Even being 18 now, you have to have seen that, you know, they're good for showing Nightmare on Elm Street movies on TV. So, I mean, somewhere along the lines, you'd have to, they'd have to have seen it, but just to see their reaction to it as opposed to, you know, more of a modern day horror movie. And like I said again earlier, you know, most horror movies now are PG-13, whereas we grew up, everything was R-rated for horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, and my nephew's getting to the age of that I can start showing some, showing him some of these movies. So I think uh, when I do, maybe I'll, like, do, like, I'll talk to him about it after and record it for the show or something. See what he thought. great aspect place. just to see, because, I mean, how old is he now? He is 11 Yes, yeah, so he he's at that age where at least you know he 
won't have nightmares for weeks, hopefully. You know, well, <laughs> of he, he watches he, it. He, what, what's good, I've had him on set before during some scary things, so like, he's, he's, it's easier for me to be able to explain to him that the, everything's fake. And like yep, a, after the he's movie, used to it with you. yeah, that's what I tell him. Like after the movie, I'd be like, "Well, you know, this is fake, and we'll talk about what was scary and stuff." And and but to ease his mind, I'll say, "You know, we'll talk about whatever, what, whatever the things in the movie scared him." I can tell him how it was fake and how they did it. So like, he'll kind of take. And he's too young to he's too young to re, you know get into the whole energy aspect if you want to of like. Like, once I tell him it's fake and prove to him it's fake, that's kind of like the end of it, you know what I mean? Whereas in yep. somebody might think that, you know, hey, like, I know certain people that'll go, I know it, I know the movie's fake, but the energy or, or the spirit of the whole movie, you know what I mean? I know people that are like that, that'll go, well, yeah, certain things are fake, but, you know, the, the, the energy that they, that they brought out making the movie or the spirit of, uh, of Freddy Krueger or whatever is in, is real, it's out there, it's been made, so now it's in our universe, it's floating around, you know? Like, I know people like that, so. Yeah, like that, that whole, that, you know, with, uh, with like, Candyman, you know, how yeah. everybody thinks that you stand in the mirror and really say it, that he's going to show up. They, you know, that same vibe floats around out there for, like, Freddy invading your dreams. When I was younger, I bought, uh, I got the Soundgarden and Super Unknown album, and I was upstairs in my room, and I was looking through the artwork in it, and I remember for whatever reason, I decided to do Candyman and say it three times, and I swear to God, on my life, after I said it three times, something, a black shadow moved behind me, I could see the reflection in the jewel case, and so like... It's, it's shit's weird. Let's just say there's a lot of weird shit out there, and I've always attested. Like to this day, I don't do, I don't do like, I don't fuck around with the Candyman, like this and Bloody Mary and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like there's weird vibes, and the weird, urban legends and yeah, whatnot. Certain ones, you know, certain ones aren't a big deal, but certain ones there's just so much because they've been talked about so negatively for so long that I think that that negative talk can attract and almost tag on like, weird shit, uh, negative yep. stuff, so, like, I don't really dabble in that, but, um, yeah, certain things are very weird like that for me, and, yeah, I remember that's something that, I, that happened 20, 25 years ago, and still thinking about it kind of creeps me out, because it was so, there was some, something moved behind me, like, there was some real shit going on, you know what I mean, it was a weird vibe, and, I seen something move behind me in that jewel case, and it was just, it was weird. You feel the bad juju. I felt the bad fucking presence up in that motherfucker. So I was like, so certain things, you know, or little, little certain things I take, there's a lot of spiritual elements that I take kind of real. Like we, like we say when, when I watch a movie about demons or about the devil himself and, you know, horror with, you know, religious taboos and stuff like that, where that stuff kind of, that creeps me out a lot, even culty stuff, like that stuff creeps me out a lot more than a Freddy Krueger or, or, you know, Jason Voorhees or, you know, like I always, like to this day, I think the scariest, the scariest horror icon is Pinhead, because he's like a demon, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he, he's just more scary in general than all of them, I feel. Um, 
And he's another dude that's almost like it's a machine thing. Like, he doesn't want to. Like, he gets enjoyment out of it, but, like, it's, all, it's his job to do what he does. You know what I mean? If you summon him with the box, you've got to deal with him. That's just how it works, you know? So, yeah. I, so I try not to summon anything with the box. That, that, that's how I live my life. Don't summon yep, anything Yep, that's why I don't mess with Ouija boards anymore. Exactly. I've never messed with a Ouija board in my life. Um, I always heard a story growing up with my, my uncle and his girlfriend. They were fucking around with the Ouija board, and they said that it started to answer questions uh, in a way they didn't want them to answer, like real creeping them out and shit. And they said they took the Ouija board and they threw it in the fireplace and burned it, and that it wouldn't burn, and it was making screeching noises. And ever since I heard that story, I don't fuck with Ouija boards. I don't. Yeah, my mom when yeah. she freaked out the first time she ever found I used one. You know, my mom was a very religious person, and yeah. you know, she, she believed in you know bad things happening from you know messing around with the Ouija board. So. You know, after she found one in my room, oh man, this, uh, the talking to I thought. Yeah. She was like, get that thing out of my house. I don't ever want to see that in my house again. Are you crazy? Blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. you, you just don't want to mess with things you're not sure of. And that's the thing. It's like, we talk about it on mostly ghostly because Ray, Ray's like, he, he doesn't get down with Ouija boards either. And the whole thing with it is it's like, you've got this. Even if like you, even if you don't, you, you go, hey, it's a kid, it's a fucking board game. You can get it at Walmart. How can it be harmful? Like, yeah, the board and the cardboard it's made of isn't the harmful thing. What it is is that in your, in your heart of hearts, in your soul, in your energy, your subconscious, yeah, in your subconscious, you're you're opening a door to try to talk to something in a different realm. That isn't that might not exactly be a positive thing. And they say that's yeah, because you don't know exactly who you're talking to. You're, you know, you might be yeah. trying to find out how grandma's doing, but you don't know if that's really grandma you're talking exactly. to. That's where it comes through. Exactly. Like that's the problem with that, with the, with any opening any door is that you can open the door, but you opening the door, you're not just going for whoever you want to talk to. You're opening the door to everything in that world. So like, yep. there's no real stop or like way to block what comes through you know what I mean and I don't really believe that it is like when people talk to their family and stuff I don't know I'm kind of torn on whether or not if I you know I'm sure there might be some family that comes across but I think there's a lot of trickery there and it's just kind of whoever opens the door you knock on the door and whoever happens to open opens you know what I mean yeah and everybody wants to open the door Good or bad, because they're in a we they're in a different place and would love to communicate with the living. It, they draw energy from it. So, by the end of all this, me and Mel put together a list of our favorite uh, and least favorite. We did we put all the films in a uh, one through nine, and um, we'll start our least favorite to our favorite Nightmare on Elm Street films, and here it goes. Number nine, chalking off the list at our least favorite of all time, uh, number nine would be the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, 2010. Number eight would be uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, from 1985. Number seven 
would be part five, The Dream Child, 1989. Um, number six would be Freddy vs. Jason from 2003. Number five, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, 1994. Number four, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, 1991. Number three, part four, The Dream Master, 1988. Number two, Part 3, Dream Warriors, 1987. And, of course, the best Nightmare on Elm Street film of all time. The very, the, the original Mac Daddy of it all, A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. And that wraps up not only the episode, but our list in order of worst to best Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah. Beautiful. Good work. Good investigation Thank and you. info. Yeah. And uh It's it's so much it's fun when you're 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 digging up and, you know, doing research for something that is something that you actually thoroughly enjoy and you know, Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the first horror films that I always made sure to see every single movie that came out. Yeah. Whether it was in the theaters or VHS at home. Mm-hmm. That you know, Freddy Krueger has always been a staple from the moment he appeared on screen for the first time in 1984. So, mm-hmm. yeah, long live Freddy Krueger. Yep. If done right, if done correctly. Yeah, if done the right way. <laughs> <clears throat> so, with that, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the show. We'll tell everybody, you know, continue to be safe out there and. Do your thing. Until the next time. Until the next time we speak with you. Have a good one. Bye.